The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Talented players are still the foundation of any successful football team. When it comes to knowing offensive line play inside and out, our guest is absolutely one of the very best analysts working today, period. We are jacked up to have Brandon Thorne back on the podcast today roll that intro what is up everybody welcome to another episode of the bootleg football podcast Uh, i am your host brett coleman here from a brand new location because I am still in the middle of moving uh, and this is the only corner of the apartment that I can show you because the rest is an absolute hellscape of cardboard and packing material uh, here with my wonderful co-host EJ Snyder who is not moving this week and is uh, in the same place as always thankfully grounding the show EJ buddy how you doing happy to be ensconced in the film cave and not dealing with boxes and packing tape and bubble wrap and all that stuff uh moving is hard work good on you for doing it uh the view's worth it but no i'm i'm excited about today's podcast in terms of guests we've had brandon on the show before and having him back is a real treat i think he is one of those people that works as hard as anybody in one specific area and that's really offensive and defensive line. Um, that's by nature. He, he's an offensive line guy by trade, but that automatically shows him some great talent on the defensive line because those are the guys going up against the guys he studies. He's so detailed. He is a treat for me to talk to because I learn things every time. I think I know things about offensive line, and I know I don't know things about offensive line, so I just ask questions and then, like, listen to the answers and I learn something every single time and as somebody that wants to know the game better Brandon's a guy that helps me achieve that and it's one of the reasons I reached out to him first when we were building this slate for those of you not familiar with his credentials which are as impressive as anybody else's we're gonna have on here uh he writes the trench warfare newsletter he's the offensive line uh and defensive line analyst for bleacher report and he is the scouting coordinator at ol masterminds with duke mannyweather which is the premier i guess you call it offensive line factory for the nfl (laughs) It, yeah. Not only is not only the summit that they do every summer, you know, with like, I don't know, insert Pro Bowl and all pro tackle or guard or center. They all go down to OL Masterminds every single summer to work with Duke uh, and Brandon and Jeff Schwartz and a whole bunch of other guys. And, um, and, 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 but they also get, uh, you know, draft prep. They're the best offensive line draft prep uh 
academy service, whatever you want to call it, for prospects. And any agent that has an offensive-wide prospect is clamoring to get their guy working with, with Brandon and Duke and Jeff and all those guys. So, uh, yeah, when, when we say Brandon means business, when it comes to offensive line scouting, we, we mean it. This guy has a signed jersey on his wall from Quentin Nelson that mm-hmm. says, thank you for all that you do to bring to basically shine light on offensive line path. Quentin Nelson said that to Brandon. That's all I need. I'm good. We're we're set. Yeah. He's as legit as it gets. So uh EJ, why don't we why don't we cut to the chase and get to this interview with the great Brandon Thorne? Joined now by Brandon Thorne, one of the preeminent offensive line voices in all of football media. Uh, basically, if you want to learn anything about offensive line play and especially uh, about the traits and techniques of all the offensive line prospects coming out, uh, he is the guy to go to. Obviously, we're going to be linking all of his platforms down in the description and the pinned comment below. Uh, Brandon, first things first, how you doing? Doing great, guys. Um, excited to talk some offensive line and yeah, just uh, doing a lot of work on this class again and still have a little bit of ways to go on behind, you know, compared to how I normally am. Still have a couple dozen maybe guys actually to, to kind of get a grade on, um, but I'll get it done. I, but I have a couple dozen done, you know, and uh, yeah, most of the top guys, I think. So, yeah, I'm just excited to do this. Well, we're happy to have you on. It's the same conversation I had yesterday about being behind. I think it's a universal conversation in draft season. I was sitting with another analyst. It's like, how you doing? How you doing? I'm behind. I'm behind. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's just. I think that's where everybody's at. So don't feel bad about that, but we really appreciate you coming on because you do spend so much time with these prospects, and you yourself have met with several of them. So we should probably just get into our list and talk about some superlatives for the class. That's how we set this up. We wanted to talk about who's the best at certain things because we get that question a lot and you see it going around a lot, message boards, you know, when teams have a need and they know what that niche need is, they're wondering who the best player is to fit that need. So we're going to start it off with who you think the best pass blocker in the 2023 offensive line draft class is. Yeah, it's it's hard not to go with my top overall offensive lineman in the draft, and that's uh, Northwestern tackle Peter Skoronsky. You know, I just like I said, you know, I think he's the best overall offensive lineman in the class, and uh, you know where he'll play as a pro, I think is up for debate, and rightfully so. Um, you know, tackle or guard, maybe center, some people say, but, but nonetheless, regardless of his position, I think that uh, his his skill, his technique. Um, and also traits as well, all just translate to a very clean, polished pass protector. Um, and I think it starts with how he gets, you know, out of his stance at the snap. He, he consistently times the snap uh, very well. He's consistently the first one moving. He gets to landmarks very quickly. And uh, when he gets there, he's under control and he's balanced. And he, he uses his hands really well in terms of timing, uh, placement. Um, independent hands, mixing things up, you know, to keep, keep, uh, you know, rushers guessing and to disrupt their timing. Um, he ends a lot of reps quickly with, you know, I think good grip strength transitions into his anchor pretty well. Um, but he could cut off inside moves as well. He's very quick, very athletic. Um, so, you know, I, I think that all plays, you know, a tackle or guard. I personally, uh, see, you know, kind of, I think one way to phrase it is, you know, you're, you're probably getting a blue chip guard or, or like a red player at tackle, you know, which mm-hmm. is kind of a terminology, you know, red is solid, blue is, you know, very good to elite. 
that's kind of how I see it. You know, if, I think he's earned the right to play tackle in the NFL, um, at least get a, get a shot. But, you know, ultimately, I think you're looking at a Joe Tooney kind of guy. That was my comparison for him. That's who I saw. Uh, you know, I watched Tooney at NC State a little bit, and I just see a very similar kind of player in transi- transition to the pro. T- Tooney played left tackle last year, you know, you know, in uh, kind of in a pinch. And I think Bronski mm-hmm. could do that. But I see a really high-level pass protector either way. How close to Rashawn Slater would you say you're graded? Because I know he's the natural comparison, right? Everybody's looking at Northwestern tackles that could play guard. Um, in, in terms of, uh, of overall grade, how close to Slater is he for you? He's pretty close, um, a little lower. You know, our scale has changed a little bit at Bleacher Report since Slater came out our first year. So the last two years, last year and this year, we've had the same scale. So it's a little different looking at it, um, a little bit lower. Uh, but they're, you know, pretty similar. I just, I think Slater is more powerful. I think uh, Slater is just stronger. Um, and I think, uh, you know, just a little bit longer arms, you know, which isn't like a huge deal. I think it's more so like power and strength, you know, is, is just a, a little bit higher than Skaronsky. And that allows him to to deal with the bull rush exceptionally mm-hmm. well in the NFL. Um, and, you know, even so at college, he was just more stout you know, than Skaronsky, specifically in his anchor and absorbing force. I think he did a better job at that than Skaronsky. But there's other similarities in terms of how they move, um, you know, just technicians, polished, well-rounded, you know, great teammate, football character, very high, all that kind of stuff, I think is similar. But yeah, that's kind of how I stack them and see them differently. I mean, people want to understand how strong Rashawn Slater is. When he was coming out of Northwestern, he front squatted like 465 or whatever it is, which is just, it's outrageously strong. I don't know if people realize how crazy that video was. That's one of the most absurd ways, like next to like Jalen Hurt squatting like 605, I think it was, and out squatting all the Alabama linemen. Like that's one of the craziest weight room things I've ever seen anybody do. It's up there with Tristan Wirfs, you know, power cleaning for whatever yeah. three or four times and then brandon scherf doing it as well those are like the craziest ones i could think of in terms of uh you know speaking of power in terms of best you know maulers power run blockers um you know somebody who's going to get like a lot of vertical displacement on a scoop like who who are the strongest run blockers would you say in this class yeah i, th- I think at uh at tackle we could even play guard potentially but um it's a tennessee tackle uh darnell wright i think you know, it's the most powerful, maybe the most powerful guy in the class. Um, you know, he just, he simply, he just uproots and moves people um, at will. And when it connects, I mean, guys, you know, he puts them on skates uh, in, in a way that you just, you sit up in your chair, you know, and you, you just say, okay, this is, this is different. Um, you know, he's, and then the, just the way he's built, I remember there's this picture uh from offensive line masterminds i think it was last year or the year before he was there you know with a kind of a little contingent of tennessee guys and he was standing next to trey smith and he made trey smith look kind of small and i was like (laughs) you know who's this dude you know and um and it was just crazy you know just his build he's just this he's got this barrel chest you know just just a giant frame um you know good length uh you know but his hands are heavy his shoulders, his his forearms, his hands, everything is just powerful. He's just a powerful dude. And the thing that I really like about him that, you know, 
kind of sold me on him was his ability to absorb force. You know, I, I talk about like absorbing force and delivering or dishing out force. You know, those are two critical elements of playing offensive line and absorbing force takes a certain level of contact balance, core strength, and really, I think just balance, you know, is the, is the biggest thing. And he's able to do that really well in his anchor when guys maybe get inside of him or establish first meaningful contact on him. And he's kind of caught, you know, in kind of an awkward position, he can drop his hips, sink and absorb it and like anchor on command. And mm-hmm. that to me was really what sold me on, on him being a, a good pro, you know, tested a little bit better than he plays athletically, I think, but, uh, still, you know, pretty good athlete. Um, but yeah, his, I just think in the run game, man, on duo, you know, B blocks on the backside of zone, inside zone, uh, you know, any kind of down block, angle drive block, you know, those kind of situations. He's gonna mm-hmm. be able to, he's gonna be able to move people, man. So yeah, he, he'd be my pick there. He's a bear of a guy. You talked about the physical frame, but when you see him play, and again, he's a guy that changed quite a bit from early season to late season. But even early in the season, when he played a little bit more flat-footed, it was because he could. People would come into him, and like you said, he's the incredible absorbing man. He just kind of, you're like, oh, he got beat? No, he didn't really get beat. He just kind of stopped moving his feet, and they didn't go anywhere. And then you talked about the power, and there's a lot of those things that if people don't watch offensive line, they're going to miss all those really strong punches and the strong hands and everything else. But where it really comes out is when somebody gives him an opening. Like when a defensive line gets off, defensive lineman gets off balance or gives him an opening, he'll bury them. Like he just, you see the torque. He just, it looks like a bear. He just grabs them and just dumps them. And you're like, yeah. oh. And then you, and then you go back and you catch all the more subtle stuff on on rewatch. But on on first, just he absorbs, 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 and then somebody blows it and he just lays them out. Yep. Yeah. That's, it's, it's really impressive. And another thing about him too, that was really impressive was his best competition this season. That was, that was his best games. So Mm -hmm. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and even Clemson, Um, you know, Brian Breesy got him early in that game, you know, stringing something together, but him and Breesy had a lot of matchups together and you could see him even kind of stoning Breesy and uh, you know, doing different things in that one. But you know, the Will Anderson game, he told me when I did the film room with him, like, he knew that Will Anderson was a big speed to power guy. And that's why he felt confident going into that game. Cause he was confident in his anchor <laughs> and uh, you know, Anderson was trying to run through him and he just couldn't do it. Um, so yeah, just for him to, you know, just play up to the competition, you know, in all the, in four of his biggest games, that was another kind of factor that I liked as well. Yeah. Ojolari as well from LSU. I think he played Anderson and Ojolari in back-to-back weeks and, uh, if I recall correctly, pitched pretty much a shutout, you know, and that's, <laughs> I don't know if any other tackle can say that in this class. So that's, yep. it's, it's, it's pretty special stuff. And I, I think, uh, you know, if, if people were going to qualify him as like the Trey Smith of offensive tackles, uh, I, I would say that's pretty fair. Um, in terms of run blocking in space though, because there is, you know, let's say you're running GT counter, there's a hell of a different skill set required to be the guy that pins the wall versus the guy that pulls out in space and, you know, can track a safety on the second level and, and not miss. Who's the best run blocker in space, polar, you know, anything that requires, um, you know, later contact in the timing of the play? Yeah, so uh, there's a couple guys here I'd like to mention. Um, at tackle, I think Paris Johnson is 
you know, really good on the move in the run game, you know, leading, pulling and leading, whether it's pin pull, any sort of like jet sweep or pitch or anything like that, him leading around the edge and, you know, kicking out the force player, you know, tracking a linebacker, even off of combo blocks, you know, um, I just think he moves very well. He, he obviously has great length, so he's able to reach out and touch guys very quickly, close space in a hurry both with his feet and with his hands. Um, and then when, once he gets to attached, I just think his ability to sustain blocks was really the most impressive thing to me because he's not like a, you know, an overly powerful guy necessarily, but he's a very sticky, you know, kind of runner. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, he runs his feet very well, finishes. He, he has a lot of competitive toughness. He's physical, you know, so it's just – it's interesting because he's this really fluid kind of silky mover, but then there's this edge to him, you know, as well that I, I really like to see. So, you know, I was, I was a pretty big fan of, of Paris in the run game um, this season. And then in terms of interior guys specifically on the move, uh, that'd probably be Joe Tipman from Wisconsin, you know, not as good at the first level, I don't think, but the second level and the third level, I mean, he can really get out there and move. Wisconsin runs pin pull 10 times a game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's because of Joe Tipman. I mean, you know, just <laughs> he, he's like uh, old Mitch Morse out there, you know. Oh, yeah. Another 6'6 center that weirdly has at, a lot of athletic ability. Yeah, exactly. I was disappointed he didn't get to test. Or cho- I don't know if he chose not to or didn't, you know, because of an injury or whatever at the combine, but I think it would have went very well for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, you know, moves very well. He's just an easy mover, especially at that size. It's really impressive. He takes good angles. He tracks guys very well, and he has a really high hit rate on the move in terms of connecting and kind of deleting guys, you know, as soon as he he gets on them, uh, specifically those smaller guys. So that's one, you know, key strength, the key strength of his game. And I think uh, in terms of on the move specifically from the interior, he's probably the most like fun guy to watch and uh, it'd be really interesting to see his transition. I actually, he reminds me a lot of Josh Myers coming out of Ohio state. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of the guy I think I saw a lot of as well, a little bit of Morse there as well, but yeah, so he's, he's fun to watch. Yeah. That wingspan, when he gets out on those smaller players, they got to try and get around him, and he moves well enough that that's tough in the first place. And you talked about Paris being sticky. You see Tipman, and he gets that edge out, and he turns his <laughs> turns his shoulders, and he's got that 80-whatever, I think it's 80-and-a-half-inch wingspan. Like, you're just not going to get to the player behind him. And you can see, again, like you said, at Wisconsin runs it so many times a game that the, the skill position – I hate that term. We need a better term for that. The guy that's carrying the ball – aims for the back of Tipman because he knows he's not moving, right? He knows he's going to be that wall, and he goes right by him over and over again, and they had a lot of success, and it's funny that you say that their run schemes keyed off that because of their center, right? The Tipman's the guy that probably makes that a, a much easier call as an offensive coordinator. Yep. In terms of hand usage, and I know this can this can mean a lot of different things because there's hand usage and in, uh, different types of hand usage in pass pro. Some guys teach different types of punches. Sometimes some guys teach refitting and re-anchoring differently. Some guys teach hand placement differently on all different manner of, of run blocking. But in terms of overall hand placement for the techniques that you personally believe in, uh, who would you say has the best hand placement in this class? 
I'd probably go back to Peter Skaronsky uh, for, for this one as well. Um, just quick, active, accurate hands. Um, you know, that's kind of a line from my report. He establishes leverage very quickly uh, inside defenders' frames. And then uh, after that, you know, after the point of attack, he's able to refit, re-leverage back inside if he loses initial contact. And that's that's kind of everything right there. I mean, if you're on time, you're quick, you're accurate, you're active with your hands and then you're, you know, you're light enough on them to where you can reposition when they get knocked off, you know, you, he kind of checks all the boxes with hands. So that one to me, there's other guys with good hands in this class, but that's maybe Skronsky's best, you know, trait uh, to me, you know, critical factor, you know, as, as, as a, a kind of a hand fighting guy, I think he's just really talented and skilled in that way. So yeah, he'd be my pick there. I'm trying to remember the exact game it was from, but he threw a snatch trap on some dude who was trying to give him a long arm. And usually, like, when I see a college kid do that, that's where I'm like, okay, they they have the confidence in terms of understanding space and timing because it literally is – it's a millisecond, right, in terms of where the engagement zone is. And you, you have to time that and you have to train that relentlessly to, to, to be able to, you know, specifically counter a long arm like that. And that's where I was like, okay – he knows what he's doing. We're good to go here. <laughs> yeah, he has that as well. So, yeah, he could do a lot of different things uh, with his hands, which is he's advanced for sure. I think that trait, when you're talking about combinations of traits and people like to take a single trait and focus on it, and Skaronsky, of course, it's arm length. Everybody's talking about arm length. I think the the thing that gives him the ability to play tackle, if he does, is that, and something you talked about at the top in the pass blocking sort of right upper rep, is variance. And you see him with the accuracy, but you'll see him early, like short set and just stab the inside shoulder, right? He turns the guy and then he's got him and, you know, the arm length isn't a thing because he literally turned his frame to where he could catch him. And then the next time he'll sit back again, have light hands, pull his hands, get on top of a guy, snatch trap, drop him, right? Next rep, it's something else. And it's that variance that keeps that length sort of in play. There's some guys with short arms and you're like, he just, he can't do it. He tries to do the same thing every time and he's just not reaching them. Skaronsky, it's about making those arms longer by turning your frame and just pitching. It's like a pitcher, right? To me, it's like a baseball pitcher. It's like, if you just throw the same pitch all the time, I don't care how good it is, people are going to hit it. If you throw a different pitch every time, people are just sort of standing back like, what's next? And that variance and hand placement combination when, when you lock them together is what makes me think, hey, if he has to play tackle or if somebody wants to try and play him a tackle, that's what gives me the sort of most hope that he would succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well said. I, I agree. In terms of, uh, you know, ball of clay traits, guys, EJ and I love talking about our, our annual traits list of, you know, they're not going to go high. Boy, you give them to Jeff Stoutland and they're going to be something special. Who's like your your traits guys day two, day three in this class? Yeah, well, this guy would probably not qualify because I think he's probably going to get drafted high. I mean, one of them was Dewan Jones. You know, he'll, he'll probably mm. get drafted high, but he's certainly a, a traits guy, um, you know, that'll probably get drafted, you know, maybe at the back end of round one. So maybe we could skip on him. But uh, a later round pick that I think would be great if he went somewhere like Philly or Cleveland, you know, with Callahan or something like that is uh, Oklahoma tackle Wanya Morris. He's a really interesting guy. When I first watched him, I didn't really like him a whole lot. And then kept watching him, saw him at the senior bowl. And I was like, you know, he just kind of grew on me because I think when you're looking at these kind of guys, you just focus in on the physical traits and you kind of, 
you know, you don't let the lack of refinement or, you know, the kind of the un, undeveloped skill kind of sway you too much because you know what these guys are. They're, you know, day three picks most likely who are going to need some time. So if the skill, the hand placement, you know, the footwork isn't, you know, very clean, that's okay if they have those physical traits. And I think Wanya Moore certainly does in terms of size, you know, his frame, um, you know, just big hands, really long arms, uh, a lot of natural power and just the right demeanor, you know, on the field. He's, he's nasty, you know, really good finisher, uh, you know, kind of similar to Darnell Wright in terms of the power that he could generate. There's mm-hmm. just reps where when, when he connects on a guy, when his leverage is good, I mean, he is extremely powerful. We saw, and it, but it's the only thing with him is he's much more hot and cold, you know, than a guy like Darnell Wright. So, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've talked to his offensive line coach a little bit at Oklahoma, Coach Biedenbaugh, and he said he wishes he had him longer, you know, because he transferred from Tennessee and uh, only had mm-hmm. him for a year and a half. Um, uh, but in, during that time, he got a whole lot better. And uh, I think the arrow is pointed up for him. Um, I think that the best, his best football is probably ahead of him. Um, you know, high pedigree guy, former, you know, five-star, uh, you know, guy with just a lot of natural talent training with Duke Mannyweather as well, which has helped. Um, I think his performance at the senior bowl, he's a guy on day three. I think if, you know, you get him into the right spot, he can be in a veteran offensive line room with a good developer at offensive line coach, you know, in two years or so, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, to see him starting games, uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of what, like, uh, maybe a Juwan James, you know, um, Ooh, a little bit like pull. that. Yeah. yeah. Juwan was a first round pick. So, you know, not the same kind of prospect necessarily, but in terms of pros, mm-hmm. I can see a, a similar kind of guy to that. In, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the, well, you said the magic words for us, uh, trained with Duke Mannyweather. I don't know about EJ, but like anytime I hear those four words, I'm like, all right, bump up around. <laughs> and I feel like NFL teams at, at this point kind of feel that way too, right? Because how many examples do we need between Slater and Trey and, uh, uh, and Creed was there too? Yeah, all of them. Like every time he puts a rookie into the Pro Bowl, I feel like NFL teams are like, let's, if he's with Duke, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, he's going to get their body right in terms of composition, uh, you know, which is a big part of everything. He's big on stance um, and just getting guys to operate under control and balanced, you know, and tailoring it to their specific body type. And I think that's what he does so well. And it just it, it really helps unlock guys and gets them, you know, playing their best. Yeah, it's in my term. That's my favorite thing about Duke is that. Um, from just, I don't know him, but from listening to him talk is that he's not trying to force people to do his thing, right? He's like, what's your thing and how can we adapt that? And he was talking about, um, dealing with bull rush, somebody that was having trouble dealing with bull rush. And he's like, well, you're a hell of a run blocker. Let's treat the bull rush in pass pro like a run block. And he said, that was it. That was the unlock. And the guy was like, oh, it's the same skills. I don't need another set of skills to deal with the bull rush. I just need to recognize the bull rush and go, oh, we're run blocking now. And that was it. And I love that approach of, hey, what do we have and what can we make better? Not like, hey, you know, you hear with quarterback coaches all the time. Like, let's change your arm angle. Like, no, no. Kid's been throwing since he was 12. Like, he's good. Let's just take the good stuff and make it better. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not trying to, you know, square peg round hole it. That's for sure. He's really good about tailoring it. In terms of uh, guys that are not getting talked about enough, and, and th- these can be traits guys or not traits guys, you know, guys that maybe will go late day two, day three, something like that, you know, but but names that uh, are, are just not getting the publicity that you think they deserve. Who, who would you say in this class qualifies for that? Yeah, one guy um, I think is Alabama tackle Tyler Steen. I feel like covering maybe his, his negatives is probably the way I'm going to go first because it's, it's just one thing to me and it's glaring it's just he struggles transitioning into his anchor and it's not that he's not strong enough that's you know i think a lot of people think if a guy can't anchor it's all play strength some of the time it is but i think some of the time it's a technique thing you know hands is a big part of it feet getting your feet in the right position and then uh you know just understanding how to break down you know a little bit you know in your anchor and he just really struggles with that so that's the thing that's holding him back but you know, six six three twenty, um, a lot of natural power. He looks good in his vertical. So he's a heavy vertical setter at Alabama. He moves really well in his vertical set. Um, he doesn't look necessarily like he is as big as he is. I mean, his frame, his lower half is big for sure. Uh, but you just don't know that he's three twenty when he's out there vertical setting like he does. He's a very fluid mover in that way. He can get to his spots quickly. He's a really good run blocker too, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, good play strength, uh, good feel for you know spacing, timing, body positioning on combo blocks. Um, you know, so good hands as well. You know, when he's in pass protection and guys aren't you know going speed to power, they don't catch him off guard, which seems to happen a little too much. But man, there, there's a lot to like with him. I think uh, you know he kind of reminds me of Josh Jones a little bit coming out of Houston. Oh, I loved him. You know, yeah, and, and so Josh Jones has had some nice flashes and, and yeah. whatnot. But I I just think Steen is a smooth mover. He has good quickness, um, physical demeanor, good play strength. You know, he just needs to kind of reduce those lapses in his technique, specifically with anchoring. And I think, you know, I think at least right away he can come in and compete as kind of a swing tackle. Um, you know, and I think he has the physical traits to become a quality starter, you know, within that rookie contract. So he's a guy, I think you know, maybe end around three or so or beginning around four. That That's the kind of range I think that's ideal for him. And, you know, I could see him carve out a, a nice role in the NFL. Well, he's 6'6", 320, you know, 33-inch arms, which is enough, right? Like, I know some teams, they have thresholds, but as far as I'm concerned, like, you're at 33, fine, that's enough. Um, but he's got 10.5-inch hands, so he's got these freaking catcher's mitts for hands. He's 81st percentile broad jump, 80 percentile uh, in short shuttle, which is a key measurement for offensive line. He's 90th percentile on bench. He is a really, really good athlete, and I, and I, I totally agree that if – and I kind of feel like it's almost like a feel thing, right? And and maybe it's his offensive line coach is going to be like, hey, just go jump set for a little bit so you get used to it. Uh, you know, take the fight to them, you know, so it's less of a timing thing and more of a you just go fight somebody. Like that's what Howard Mudd would do, right? Is he just say, hey, just go kick his ass before he kicks your ass. Maybe that's what he's going to have to do at the NFL level. But from an athletic profile, I'm right there with you. Um, I remember I, I first got exposed to him at the Senior Bowl. And I was like, okay, there's something there. Like he was one of the the, the best movers out of a very uh, very good offensive line group there. So uh, I'm I'm right there with you, EJ. Uh, where where are you at on Tyler Steen? 
I'm a bigger fan having gone back to some of his tape and watched with a with a closer eye, just watching Steen as opposed to watching the whole offense or watching the whole offensive line. When you just focus on Steen, you see a lot of quality wins. It's not like, oh, he's a traits guy, but we just need to do a bunch of things to get him to where he like you see a lot of good reps and then you'll see a bad one. And you go, man, when you're looking at all those good reps, why are people not talking about him? A, he's a left tackle at Alabama. That's about the brightest spotlight you can get. He's huge, especially in the lower half. Got great power. When he connects, he can move people in the run game. And then he starts dancing around, like you said, and you're like, man, he doesn't look he doesn't move like he looks let's put it that way and you go why are people talking about it and then you see the misses but that's what they are they're like misses to me they're almost mental misses it's like a a quarterback i know i keep going back to quarterback but it's like a quarterback that doesn't see the open route right he can throw any route on the field but he just missed it and with steen i feel like on some stunts on some secondary moves when people are peeling off him with quickness and then you brought up the the big one that you see, which is when he gets surprised, when somebody gets inside. He's not like Darnell Wright. He doesn't just automatically anchor. You see him bend. You see him fold. You see him get pushed back towards Bryce Young. And it's not that he can't, especially with that lower half. You know that he can anchor. It's just about, oh, he didn't see it, right? He didn't catch it mentally. It's like a miss more than I got beat, or he missed and then he got beat because of it. And that, to me, feels really correctable, and that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is hopefully correctable, you know, um, it's, you know, kind of concerning that it didn't get corrected during, you know, Alabama the whole season, but I think theoretically it is something correctable, you know, if maybe he just needs exposure, a different coaching cue, you know, Mm -hmm. something different, you know, uh, and yeah, that, that's the, the hope and the bet that you're making when you draft him. But, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of other things to like, and it's a bet that I would, I'd be willing to definitely make at the right time for sure. Well, this has been, uh, once again, every year we have you on for this. This is no different, extremely illuminating. Uh, hopefully people watching this and we're going to be throwing B roll and all 22 of all these guys up. Um, but I mean, you, you do interviews with these guys, you break down these guys, uh, you know, in addition to all the work that you do with Bleacher Report and with Duke and Ole Miss, where, where can people find all of that content that you're putting out about and with all these prospects? Yeah, they can go to trenchwarfare.substack.com, and that's my newsletter. I try to put at least something out every week. And, uh, yeah, right now doing a lot of interviews. Just dropped one this morning with Dewan Jones, which was really fun. I have a couple more coming out before the draft. I've done seven of them so far. So try to get some prospects on there and then uh, hopefully get some NFL guys. You know, again, like I did last year, I got Rashawn Slater, Tron Armstead, a couple other guys. So I just try to – I love getting in the film room with them and – picking their brain and then letting other people kind of see like what their thought process is. So that's, that's a big focus of mine, but I do other stuff as well. So yeah, that's kind of, that's my, that's the main place people can find me. Well, we appreciate you taking all the time out this morning, doc ball with us. Uh, hopefully we'll get you on again sometime during the season. Absolutely guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, that was a great discussion with Brandon. He's always, he's always a great guy to talk to when it comes to offensive line. And I know you and I both constantly send him clips and, are saying, am I seeing this right? Like, (laughs) can you help me? Because I think, but I know you know. It's like, is this inside zone or duo? (laughs) (laughs) That's the number Uh, one question that everybody always had. Inside zone or duo? Actually, did you ever see the the flow chart that Jeff Schwartz made? 
I did. For Inside Zone vs. Duo. I'm going to find it. We'll throw it up on screen. It's I, I shit you not, it's one of the most valuable football resources ever because every time I second guess it where I'm like, okay, well, they're locking on the backside end, but the mic's working or the center's working on the mic. He's not working on the will. Like, which way are we going here? And the path of the back is one. Like, it's a great flow chart. It'll answer all of your questions. Um, Until but, yeah. you talk to Chandler Zavala and he goes, you know, but then it shifts. You're <laughs> like, <laughs> then we get motion before the snap and the play completely changes. Oh, God. Offensive line play. Very complicated. Very complicated. Good stuff. And even though I've been studying it for 10 years, I am still nothing compared to all the guys over at OL Masterminds that uh, that do it for a living. Um, one takeaway that we didn't get to with Brandon when he was here that I, I, I definitely want to emphasize, and I know you felt strongly about this too, I think our, our impressions of the tackle class when we kind of did like our draft class primer a month ago or whatever it was, I think they were correct but not complete. Yes. If that makes sense. In the in. If you go back to that episode, maybe you didn't watch it yet. Uh, you know, we, we kind of saw interior offensive line as incredibly strong, which it is. Very strong. Guys all over the place. And tackle as top-heavy, and there was a few guys that you really like at the top, and then it falls off a cliff. I think as we've gotten further in the process, and, you know, we're looking at guys like, uh, like Bergeron from Syracuse, uh, you know, Tyler Steen, who we just talked about in the interview, um, the BYU kid, Blake, Blake Freeland, who Blake tested Freeland. off the freaking charts. And even going before the combine, I was like, I don't know. He looks like he's pretty athletic. And then he broke every single record you can think of. I think the tier two at tackle is is a little bit deeper than I think I initially gave it credit for. Not that these guys are a whole bunch of day one starters. I don't think they are. Well, Bergeron might be. It depends on where he goes. Bergeron might be my Zach Tom this year. We'll, we'll see. Um <laughs> But I do think that the Tier 2 has more developmental talent that you're willing to roll the dice on than I think I originally gave it credit for. Depending on who you are, I think that answer is yes, now that we've spent a little bit more time getting out of the sort of top 120-ish range and moving into sort of the next 100 range in the draft. Um, you know, and not all these guys fall directly in that, so don't fill the comments with, he'll never be there because... That's not the greatest comment anyways, but the Jalen Duncans of the world, Bergeron, Steen, Freeland, the landing from that top tier of four or five guys, depending on how you see it at offensive tackle to that second is a little bit softer than we initially thought. We initially thought, boy, if you don't get one of those guys, you're just not getting anybody. And if you have a great offensive line coach or an offensive line coach that keys in on one particular trait, Right. Mm -hmm. He wants a bulldozer as a run blocker. He wants a super athletic guy that can pass protect first. And if he doesn't get a lot out of him in the run, great. We can we can do dual blocks with with tight ends and, and work around that. Right. If, he, if he's got one particular thing, there are guys in this middle tier of tackle class that fit those. And if that lines up with your team and your offensive line coach, you might be able to wait a little bit longer, get that guy in maybe the third, maybe the top of the fourth, depending on the guy and and get away with it. I would still say overall the class is thin, but not frighteningly thin like we initially feared. So I would still like advocate a get it early. Yeah, it it looked like a wasteland when we started. It was like, oh boy, if you don't do if you don't go in the top five, you just might as well sort of pack it away until next year. And I think it was Jordan Reed. He said he thinks six are going to go in the first round. 
I've gone back to that comment in my head several times since Jordan made it, and I don't think it's true just because there's only 31 picks in the first round this year. Uh, one was forfeited. And you just have to look at how all the other positions stack, and there are some other very important positions that are also very strong corner and edge specifically and so if you're gonna say six tackles it means one or two less of both of those other positions and the the logic of an nfl team is i can have the sixth best offensive tackle or at this point i can have the third best corner or the fourth best edge and those don't usually align especially since this tackle class is not necessarily the strongest that we're talking about and not maybe as scarce so that motivation to really latch on to the sixth guy at the end of the first round is probably not going to be that strong i would say five is five could happen for sure six i would be surprised it's possible but i don't think it's likely let's put it that way four is definite because you're going to have skaronski you're going to have paris johnson you're going to have darnell wright uh, and you're going to have probably Dewan Jones as the fourth one. Oh, or, actually, no, Broderick Jones. Broderick, Broderick Jones. Jones, for sure. Uh, and that's... So Dewan Jones might be the fifth. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think Bergeron is real sneaky as an option to KC sneaking in there at 31. If six go, it's going to be because the Chiefs take one at 31. So I, I could see Bergeron going at 31 just to get the fifth year of control and to insulate themselves from another potential disaster uh, at tackle for the Chiefs late in the year. If they go down by one, you know, they, they don't want Pat to get hurt. So if six go in the first round, that would be the path to it. Uh, but even if six are going in the first round, I still think another four could potentially go on day two pretty comfortably. Yeah, I don't think that's out of the question given what we've seen, especially really towards the end of day two. You get down to that end of round three which is the end of day two and people sort of again looking at that second drop off which is bigger after you get past the four or five guys that we mentioned in that second tier you're really taking a project project you're you're taking a flyer you're taking a hope for not a he's going to do anything certainly in the first year and if he's pressed into service we're going to try and probably have to hide him versus NFL rushers so there there might be a little urgency right there at the end of day two to go if we don't do it now probably just not really doing it at all we're going back into the free agent pool if there's anybody left so that can up the stakes a little bit for sure and who knows uh maybe dj flukers coming back into the league at the right time uh, a video right before we recorded this part got released dj fluker was working out at alabama's pro day this week and he is 330 and yoked out of his mind ej yep <laughs> that guy looks like the the hauler on a mac truck right now he is incredibly fat i don't think i've ever seen him that fit ever he, he has never looked like that ever and if he's healthy he is a this is going to sound weird but a big-footed guy the guy has huge feet who is a bulldozer typically at right tackle and if he is cleared medically and healthy he is obviously in shape if he is motivated to return he is worth a one-year flyer from your team if you're interested in a in a right tackle that can move people and hold up um, better than a lot of other sort of question marks question mark with fluker later in his career was health if he's taken some time off gotten healthy and he's obviously changed his body yeah uh that that might throw a really interesting wrench in the tackle market i'd kind of like to see uh poles take a flyer on him because what do you have to lose 
Like, uh, yet you still have a whole bunch of money left over, even after all the moves they've made. Like, what what do you have to lose, honestly? And and we, he's played guard before. He's played tackle before. Like, why not? Yeah, it doesn't fit with the way Poles is building the Bears, but I'm with you despite that. I'm like, sometimes you have to deviate from the plan. And Poles is absolutely skewing young and at least two or three years of control. If you look at the contracts, the guys he's signed, they're all in their uh, mid to later mid-20s. Uh, and he's signed them up for shorter terms. He is he is building for the future. And Fluker is obviously past that window, but he is also much better than your incumbent at right tackle if he's healthy and motivated. Yeah, if you can get him on a one-year prove-it kind of flyer deal, if there's not a feeding frenzy for his services and the price doesn't go up and he can sign a reasonable deal for one year at right tackle, I'm with you. Yes, please. Uh, coming up this week... Uh, everything else that we got coming. Uh, I went to USC Pro Day. We're going to be talking about that uh, in next week's show a little bit. Uh, But USC Pro Day was this week. Uh, We have a two-hour live stream coming up on Thursday. I think this comes out Wednesday, right? Uh, Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. So that live stream should be on Thursday. But if this episode comes out on Thursday, then we'll do it on Friday. Uh, either way, when this episode drops, go to the description, go to the pinned comment. We'll have the exact time for you. Either way, live stream is going to be the day after this episode drops. So you guys can come in, ask questions, we'll chat. We'll kind of go over where we see this draft class as it is today. And just in general, you know, have a have a little bootleg beer party and talk draft for a couple hours. I think that should be fun. And then uh, next week, we are going to have another special guest and then, uh, you know, talk about another position group, obviously, and also recap the USC Pro Day and everything we saw there. Uh, so another jam-packed show next week. And then I think like a month after that uh, is is the actual draft. So we're, we're winding down pretty quick here. You know, we're trying to catch up and, and get as far as we can so we can get all of our grades out over on the Patreon uh, or our rankings out on the Patreon. Those are also coming soon. Uh, yeah, lots to go. And once again, EJ, we find ourselves under so much pressure (laughs) in draft season. You know, this is self-imposed pressure and it's the place we really like to be. The fact that we get to do all this and it's the same with all the guests. That's the thing I love is when we were talking to Jordan Reed, we're, you know, we were recording. It was 10 o'clock his time. He had another couple hours worth of work to do. We had four more hours worth of work to do. And all three of us were like, yeah, but what would you rather be doing? Like, this is still the best place to be. And Brandon was like, I'm behind. And I was like, I just sat down with another analyst yesterday. And I was like, how are you doing? They said, I'm behind. I said, oh, that's funny. Me too. It's it's universal. I think everybody is going 100 miles an hour right now. But it is it is great. And every time you turn around, there's another piece of information, another story, another something to look at, another pro day. Um, it's uh, it's kind of just like Christmas every time you wake up and it goes on. And then there's this big withdrawal period after the draft ends where, yes, we get some sleep. But I don't know about you, but the first day, uh, like Monday, it's typically Monday, not the first day. So Sunday we do our recap pod and everybody yeah. comes down. And then Monday I wake up early like I do every day. And I open up Twitter and I'm like, what's happening? What? Oh, right. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. We're yeah, we're done. We're good till July. We got nothing yeah. to do. It's amazing. <laughs> Except in my case, then I'm going to be working on dynasty rankings for, for fantasy football. So yeah, and we're going to be building our June is what I so it's it, there's never nothing, but there is a very distinct gap when you go as hard and and from early to late and usually six or seven days a week uh, during draft season, and then that Monday hits and it's a strange vacuum. You just kind of walk around. And you're like, I could I could go out to lunch. 
I know the the it's first weird. Monday that you don't set an alarm and you and you and you still wake up anyway because you're so used to it. I don't know about you. Yeah. I don't I don't set an alarm during draft season. Like I wake up and my eyes pop open and I'm like, man, I wish I could go back to sleep. And it it never happens. I just pick yeah, up my phone in the and back of your head. You're like, no, I, I really gotta watch Dwayne McBride right now. <laughs> literally, I woke up this morning. The first thought in my head was, how am I gonna separate this receiver and this receiver? They're in the same bubble and they're really similar, and I just don't know. And then I was like, oh crap, I'm awake. Yeah, like, and I'm go. not going back to sleep because now my head's thinking about how I'm gonna how I'm gonna break up those bubbles. Long story short. We still got a lot of shit coming. Uh, thank you to all of our executive producers for making today's episode possible and all of the future episodes that you're hearing. Uh, if you guys want to join the executive producer tier over on the Patreon so that we can keep doing this, uh, that would be so appreciated because we definitely uh, rely on our community to keep us going. Uh, but Marat, Consti, Caden, Andrew, Taylor, Liam, Connor, Joey, and Mike, we appreciate everything you guys do every single month for us as executive producers. With that, EJ, I'm going to go grab my second triple espresso of the day and get to work on a Lamar Jackson video. I will see you next week. Take care. Take care.